Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it, and we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect, otherwise nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice and online workshops at connectfulness.com. Hello and welcome back. Today I'm talking to Sharon Martin. Sharon is a licensed psychotherapist who has been practicing in San Jose, California for over 20 years. Sharon specializes in helping individuals who struggle with perfectionism, codependency, and people-pleasing using cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, and self-compassion. Sharon's the author of the CBT Workbook for Perfectionism and the Better Boundaries Workbook, available November 1st. You know, so often we tend to think about boundaries in a really punitive way, like a way to protect ourselves after something has happened. They show up as consequences, even sometimes creating like a continuous cycle of retaliation and defensiveness, retaliation and defensiveness. If you do that, I'll do this. Um, but what if there was a way of thinking about boundaries as a protection that helps us learn and understand how to be relational, like a protective layer for your relationships that ensure that your needs are met while preventing you from being hurt or resentful? Not only is this possible, but it's necessary. The catch is that you need to know who you are and what you need in order to put healthy boundaries into place. And since so many of us weren't raised with healthy boundaries as children, or maybe we weren't given age-appropriate spaces to discover who we are, it presents some really messy boundary issues for us as adults. So in this conversation, Sharon and I are going to be diving in and talking about why we all deserve healthy boundaries and how we can learn how to make some small shifts that can make a really huge difference in our lives and in our relationships. Dive in with us. I hope that you enjoy the episode. I'm here today with Sharon Martin, a colleague of mine who happens to be a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, and author. Sharon's in private practice in San Jose, California, and online throughout the state of California. 
Welcome, Sharon. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Rebecca. I'm really excited to be here with you as well. And I'm super excited. This new workbook of yours, Better Boundaries. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think this is an amazing gift to, to folks. I think boundaries are such a stumbling block for so many people in relationships. I think it might be really helpful for us to just begin with why, why are boundaries mm -hmm. such a stumbling block? And, you know, was it like that for you too? Cause I know it was for me. And, and that's in many ways why I got into the work that I'm doing. And I'm curious if it's the same for you. Absolutely. You know, I wish I could actually remember when I first heard and learned about boundaries, but I don't actually remember. Other than I have no recollection of ever using that term or being familiar with it growing up. So again, I'm not sure if that's my family or if it actually was not used as commonly, um, which is what I suspect, at least in part, is that we're talking about boundaries a lot more, or at least using that term to describe this concept more than we used to. But I think like so many things, we can trace this back to our childhood and mm -hmm. look at what did we learn or not learn about boundaries growing up. And for some people, you know, like me, it's like you can look back and say, I don't, I don't remember anything overtly being discussed about that idea. Um, and families, of course, are, are very different. They're very complex. But, but within that, there are always certain rules and there are expectations. There are things that, again, that we are told very specifically, you can do this or you can't do that. But there's a lot that goes unsaid that becomes the way that the family system operates without anybody actually explaining to the child that this is what's going on. But of course, we learn you know, really quickly. Children are, are very smart. They pick up on what's happening uh, you know, between other people in the family and between themselves you know, and their parents and their siblings and, and so forth. And they start to learn what those expectations and rules are. And, and to some extent, that's really the nature of what boundaries are to begin with. They are, you know, those expectations that say, this is who you can be, and this is how you can be that person, where you can be, um, and what, what's your capacity to be able to tell other people no, to set limits, um, to have some kind of separate identity from other people in the family. Um, and that, like I said, sort of runs the whole gamut, I think, um, from children being given a lot of flexibility and being really encouraged to be themselves. And that's fully accepted. And, you know, that sort of fall into that, you know, kind of healthy boundary place that, that we hope to have where um, children feel safe um, to be themselves. But there's also enough structure and limit there again, that helps children feel safe so that they are not able to do things that are unsafe because they don't necessarily know any better. And I think that this is such a, a key piece that you're bringing up here. The, the part about the structures and the limits that help us feel safe, that give us some kind of clarity around what is expected of us and kind of what the norms and the structures of this family system or, or this institution or just who, you know, Boundaries help us learn what's expected of us and also who we are. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There, there's there's multiple pieces to boundaries, and I think we often focus on the limit setting. Um, you know, almost sort of the literal piece of a boundary is a is a separation between two people or a way for me to you know, say, no, I don't want to do that, or that's not okay with me. And those are very important pieces of boundaries for sure. But there's also the, this other piece, which is almost more of a, like a psychological or an emotional kind of separation, which allows me to be fully myself in the sense that I don't have to adhere to, you know, your set of values or opinions or goals like I can you know be my own separate person and I don't have to live my life now you know trying to please you and I don't get what I sort of call swallowed up you know in a relationship where I kind of lose my own identity because somebody else's is almost you know it's bigger you know or I feel like I'm I'm afraid it's not again it's not safe for me to be me in that situation so I need to kind of morph and do that, you know, chameleon um, dance to be somebody that's more pleasing to somebody else. Yeah, I think I think that's such a common experience for so many people, um, especially people who grew up in homes where there may have been weaker boundaries, more porous boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 when we talk about those weaker poor porous boundaries, you know, that's where there aren't enough structures and limits in place so that children are not sure what they're allowed to do or what they're expected to do. Or oftentimes parents will have unrealistic expectation uh, of their children. Um, so that you know, they'll expect a young child to be able to do something that they're developmentally not capable of doing. And of course that becomes a, a no-win situation because you know the child is, you know, virtually it's impossible for them to do what their parent is expecting. Um, you know, and, and oftentimes this is where families will go back and forth between having not enough boundaries and then too many boundaries. It's overly rigid and those rules are, are very fixed. And again, we, what we ideally are looking for is there's, there's this flexibility, there's a give and take to our yes. boundaries. And this is true, right, when for children um, that parents need to be able to adapt the boundary for the specific child and the specific situation and you know, take into account the age of the child. But this is also true for us as adults. Um, we want to also, you know, be clear about our boundaries, but also know that we can and should make adjustments as we go along, because again, not every situation is the same. And so for me to live my life with, you know, a very rigid standard of I'm never going to do this might not actually work that well for me. It might, it might, you know, sort of cut me off from certain opportunities or things that actually might be interesting or um, fulfilling for me to try. Um, but at other times, it might be very appropriate for me to not do those things. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the biggest pieces, I think, in my own learning, and you know, it's, it's rippled through me in so many different ways. I'm sure I've talked about it in past episodes of the podcast. And when I was reading your workbook, it was like right there in my face. And there was this one paragraph where you really spelled it out. May I read it to you? Mm. You said, not knowing who you are or what you need 
can be both the result and the cause of boundary difficulties. Families with rigid or weak boundaries don't encourage individuation, the age-appropriate process of children separating emotionally and physically from their parents as they mature. Instead, your self-esteem becomes contingent upon pleasing others. When you don't have a strong sense of self-worth, you rely on other people's validation and approval to make you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes in so many ways. And I think that this is like the root of why so many people struggle in relationships. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think, you know, even within that one paragraph, there's a lot of pieces. So many. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on there, but I think like that very first piece speaks to this idea that before you can even set a boundary, you need to know what it is that the need is. Yes, what is underneath it? We, we can't just randomly go about setting boundaries. Um, right. But I think some people do, <laughs> they sort of think, oh, I should, I should say no to this, or I don't like that. Um, but really boundaries are needs driven. They are. And so then you outline these four beautiful questions and they, they parallel so much of what my people that I work with um, are working towards as well. And I just, I love these questions. What are the boundary related problems that you're experiencing? What's the underneath? What's the unmet need? How are you feeling? And I just want to stress for folks listening, the difference between feelings and thoughts again right? Like Mm -hmm. feelings are things like I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling resentful, but thoughts are, I don't, I'm feeling that I don't like it when you or Mm -hmm. like there's a difference there. And then what's the outcome that you want? What do you want to accomplish? So that that really gives a context for how we're setting these boundaries and why. How are, how are these boundaries? I mean, really coming back to this other piece that you drive home a lot that boundaries are here to protect us. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and that's such an important piece because often boundaries are misconstrued, I think almost as a way to try to get other people to do what we want. They're weaponized. Yeah, and, and it often feels controlling to the person who's on the receiving end of it, which let's be honest, it doesn't feel good when you're the person who feels like somebody is, is trying to be, you know, controlling towards you. And then naturally you're going to get pushback. So yeah. this sort of goes back to the, you know, if, if the way you're going about setting boundaries is not working, you know, this may be a piece of it is that you're emphasizing trying to change other people with your boundaries, which there, there is a place for that in making a request of asking somebody if they would be willing to make a change but we can't rely solely on other people for our boundaries. And when I think, when I think about making a request of somebody else, and, and this comes back to the RLT work that I, I am training in and trained in and um, that I bring into my practice is that we have to risk making a request because on the other side of making that request, the other person can go along with it and say yes and try to meet it. Or maybe there's a learning edge for them there around meeting it and they're not going to get it right the first few times or hundred times <laughs> they try to meet us there. And there's a difference between making a request and making a demand. 
Absolutely. And this is the piece that we have to remember that while boundaries are 100% about me taking care of me, they're also relational. Yes. So, right, that's the piece where it's okay to ask people, but sometimes the answer will be no, that they don't want to or are unable to make the change that we are asking them to make, which is hard to accept. Well, there's grief in there. Yeah, because I don't know a single person who, you know, does not wish at times that they could get other people to, you know, do what they want. It feels like life would be easier. I think it probably would be more complicated, actually. But, but in any case, it's a, it's a fantasy that I think most of us have, at least at times. Um, but, but of course, we all know on a certain level that, that we can't force people to do things, even when we ask very nicely. And you know, there is a lot in that book about communication skills and how we can go about asking in the way that is most likely um, to encourage a cooperative um, a, you know, response from somebody. Um, but of course, the, the most important piece about our boundaries is to think about what is it that I can do to get what I need in this situation? Not in like a selfish type right. of way, but, but really from a very practical standpoint of this is where I have the power. This is where I have control is over what I am going to do and ultimately, that's a large part of our boundary setting approach needs to be this, you know, this looking at what's within my control and what's not. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people put an emphasis on the requests and it often demands really yeah. um, where, you know, we, you know, maybe it's sort of like, you know, 80, 20, and we need to flip that around and make it mostly about what can I do in this situation? What changes can I make to have this be better for me and less about um, the other person? Well, it's a whole lot easier to get what you want if you're the one that's making the change. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, <laughs> you know, right? That almost doesn't make sense about why do we keep putting so much of our effort into trying to get other people to change when it's really not that effective, Right. at least with some people. Again, when we have a strong relationship to begin with, obviously that is going to be helpful when there's already an atmosphere of, um, you know, cooperation and connection that we're building upon with our boundaries, that's easier, yeah. Yeah, but, but what comes up for me also when I think about that is how many relationships are, are any of us, all of us in, in our lives where it's hard to say no to somebody, even like, especially the person who we love and we want to make feel good, right? And so if they make a request of us, how often are we gonna like try to say yes, even if inside, there's like a, oh gosh, what would that mean? What do I have to do to get, to be able to do that for you? Right. And so I think that this is a huge learning edge for so many is to not say yes, when we really mean no, right. To not over-accommodate other people when they could probably do something themselves, right? Like th these are edges that I think are learning edges for so many. And that when we're making requests, and this is a big one that, that it took me a long time to really start to digest and understand the difference between a request and a demand and in there, that a request is often best stated as, 
I'm I, like, I want to make this easy for you. So here's how you could help me. I want to, how can I help you to help me? Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's something like, instead of saying, I, this might even be one of the examples in your workbook, instead of saying like, I want you to respect me, right. To say something like, could you be home before we put the kids to bed at 10 o'clock or eight o'clock or what? Like, right. So to, to make that easy to say like, this is what would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. And I, and I guess I sort of frame that as you need to be very specific Clear. about yeah what it is that you want, because when you say, I need you to respect me, or even I want you to, you know, act in a way that's more respectful. I don't know what that means to you. I mean, that's very vague. It's this sort of, there's a lot of assumptions, I think, built into that, that you're assuming I know specifically what that would look like. And that's not necessarily true, even in our most intimate relationships. I think this is probably one of the biggest mistakes we make in our communication is that we don't spell things out we, you know, we always need to be more specific than we think we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even you know. in the most intimate and the longest relationships that we're in, in our lives. Even. Right, I, yes. I think we've all had those miscommunications and arguments that come about because we thought we were being clear, but the other person thought they understood <laughs> and they, they didn't um, because, you know, that's a very simple example, but it, but it's also very helpful, I think, to say, you know, what do I really need? And I like the way that you frame that in terms of like, how can I help the other person understand so that they can be successful right. in this endeavor, right? We don't, I mean, we want to set our, our loved ones up for success is the other thing so that they can, you know, meet our needs as often as is possible. Totally, 100%. And, and that's, I think, what's so key about boundaries is as much as it's like a learning edge and there's so much skill involved and that we're learning this stuff, we're learning it in relationship with other people. Yeah, which means they're learning too at the same time, right? <laughs> which that's where it gets pretty messy, I think. Yeah, it can. And, and so for me, like, I couldn't learn about boundaries and relationships, for example, with my mother. Because that's where I had learned a lot that wasn't working for me. And mm-hmm. I had to relearn a lot of that in other contexts. Right? So like, I think that that's a big piece. One of the lines that I, I pulled from your book was when you're learning to set boundaries, don't start with the most difficult people mm-hmm. in your life. Yes. And I would say that's probably true of any skill that you're trying to learn. If I'm you know, a novice cook, I'm not going to try to make Julia Child's most complicated dish, you know, the first time I go about cooking, right? And then serve gonna, it to Julia Child. <laughs> yes, I'm going to start <laughs> start simple. And again, you know, start where you can be the most successful, right. because this is another, you know, just great sort of motivational tip, I think, which is if you're going to, you know, embark on something that you know is going to be fairly difficult, you know, break it down into little pieces and ones that are manageable and that you can be successful at because 
Right. If I go about setting those difficult boundaries with my mother, the first go around and they don't go well, I'm likely to feel discouraged and maybe even want to give up. Um, whereas if I, you know, went to a friend who, you know, we had sort of minor boundary challenges and I can work on that with her and be successful, I might come out of that feeling, oh, I can do this. This is something that can work. I've, I've experienced some success there and then I can build on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see this with the couples that I work with all the time, you know, that, that sometimes they really want to learn how to work on this stuff and working with each other can sometimes be the trigger can be the thing that makes it so difficult. So it can be easier to try to learn how to set a boundary, like at work or with a friend or some somewhere else where they can get the practice in and start feeling confident about their ability to set those boundaries. And then they could bring them back into their relationship and start learning about that. It strikes me that, that one of the pieces that we should probably backtrack and talk about is why boundary setting can be so difficult. Like that, that, uh, thing that so many of us think about, about that we're being selfish. Mm. Yeah, that, that one comes up a lot. And again, I, I don't really like the word selfish because I think, I think most people actually who think they're selfish are, are not, that that's, that's sort of part of the conditioning, you know, or those messages that we got early on in life that, that doing almost anything for yourself is wrong. Yeah. And, and we need to, you know, again, I think go back to remembering boundaries are fundamentally about protecting oneself. And, and sometimes that's physically and emotionally. And other times it's, it's sort of protecting your, your time or your money, um, those kinds of resources as well. And, and I, I sort of look at this as this is something that we all have the right to do that everybody has the right to sort of look out for themselves. Again, because we have to think about what happens if we don't do that. Mm. And I think, I think a lot of people have experienced that because again, this is what happens when we, we aren't great at setting boundaries is we often give more than we really should, right? And we end up depleted and um, resentful we don't feel good, right? We've sort of, again, lost ourselves or we've you know, lost our goals and our values and done things that we didn't want to do and so forth. Yeah, I, I often think of when I'm feeling overextended or resentful or angry, right? That these are some good clues that I've probably extended myself beyond where that boundary could have been in a helpful way that would have protected me. Yes, absolutely. And that, and that I think is a good reminder, you know, to recall those experiences and say, oh, you know, let me try not to make that same mistake because what feels good in the moment in terms of pleasing somebody else and saying yes and agreeing to things um, or not speaking up about something that you're uncomfortable with often, you know, has bigger consequences, negative consequences for us. And, and going back to the idea of the selfishness, I don't think it's selfish to take care of yourself. I think it's actually incredibly relational to take care of yourself because 
who else can take care of you in the way that you could, you know, like who else knows what you need and what you want and where those boundaries need to be set. Once you're an adult, that's, that's really up to you. Uh, uh, Completely up to you. And of course, you know, we all know the old saying too, that, you know, you can't take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself. Right. Like being on an airplane, put on your own mask. Yeah. Right. So there is an element of putting, you know, putting this into yourself so that you can, you know, have more to give to other people. But I think even, even if that weren't the case, um, it's still, it's still just as valid to say, I need to take care of myself because I am, you know, a worthwhile person who deserves to be taken care of just like anybody else. And again, this is a, it's a challenging thing, you know, for folks who did not grow up in a family that really gave them the message that they are worthwhile people who, you know, deserve to be taken care of. Because that's like we've we've said, it's really a, a fundamental piece of setting boundaries is, is there is some belief that I'm worth protecting. Right. And we are worth protecting. I think that that right there is like such an important part of this because that's a part that boundaries boundaries are protecting our worth, right? So to not feel that we have the worth means we're not going to try to protect it. But mm-hmm. part of growing good assertive boundaries where, where we're being able to be both strong and flexible, right? That that really is situated. It's, it's seated in this space of I'm worthy. And it's not just me that's worthy. Our relationship is also worthy of being protected in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's another whole piece I think of boundaries is, is the concept that boundaries can protect a relationship also, not just an individual within a relationship. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, we, we might, you know, think of an example like um, infidelity, if you want to protect your relationship from infidelity, right. There might be boundaries that you set um, as a couple agreements that you make about what's okay and what's not okay. And that becomes, you know, sort of a protective layer. And I think it's so important to make those types of agreements explicit instead of assuming them and thinking, you know, implicitly that they lie underneath and that, you know, we're on the same page. We both want to be in a respectful, honest relationship. Like, what does that mean to both of you? And what will, what would be a, a violation? Can we get there where we can see, you know, our agreements are that we will, right? And and to really lay that stuff out, it helps everybody know that they're on the same page. Yes, I, I 100% agree. And I would add that I think it, it feels like, oh, that would be really helpful to do at the beginning of a relationship. Mm-hmm. But most people don't, of no, course. But it's never too late is what I would I would really encourage people to to think about that, even if you've been in a very long term relationship um, and there are not agreements or not agreements that are working because there always are agreements. (laughs) (laughs) The other piece of it is sometimes we're not aware because they never were stated, but what we keep doing, you know, 
becomes the default agreement. Um, but, but we can have those conversations and start to bring them into, you know, more awareness and being more explicit about them. Yeah. And I find that as they become more explicit, as, as they're more and more in our awareness, like I'll, I'll often have my people write down some agreements that they have, and it could even just be like, kind of like almost a mission statement of their relationship right? Like this is what we stand for. This is who we are. And as they reflect on those pieces and maybe put them on their fridge or on their bathroom mirror or something like that, it helps them when they hit something hard, it helps them remember what they're working towards and who they're doing that with. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And it, and it really connects well with that idea of boundaries because that, that mission statement or that value statement is again, what is going to inform the boundaries because you're saying this is what is most important to us. So we need to protect that. We need yeah. to have those agreements and boundaries in place so that we don't lose sight of that. Yeah. So there's this other piece about setting boundaries that I think is really important here because so often we, we tend to think of boundaries in like a punitive way, right? a way to protect us after something has happened instead of thinking about them as a protection that helps us understand how to be relational. <laughs> um, and when that happens, they often show up as consequences, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this piece that you wrote in the book as you were as in, in this section where we're talking about this. And you said that often when you, when you move into retaliation, it can put you in more danger because it keeps the conflict going. Mm -hmm. It keeps things escalating. Yeah. And for a lot of people, this, I think it's, it's just, um, it feels like the, the natural thing to do is to fight back. Yeah. Um, other people, maybe their, their response is to withdraw, but for, for many people, it's, you know, you hurt me, so I want to hurt you back. And again, that's probably not a conscious thought, but it just is the, ooh, it feels like I'm protecting myself by attacking back. But just like you said, I mean, what yeah. we're really doing is we're just continuing to have conflict because then this is just a cycle of attack and retaliate and attack and retaliate, right? It goes round and round and we've not accomplished any real protection. Right. Right. And so the real protection comes from a place of really learning. Well, first learning who am I and what do I need? Right. Yeah. And, and what is this relationship and, and what does the relationship maybe need too? And I think at this point, it, it feels to me like probably we need to slow down in order to get ourselves out of that cycle. Yeah and really think again about what am I trying to accomplish and why, rather than sort of being on autopilot um, back and forth with, with an argument. Right, and, and so that we're getting ourselves out of the loop of either being on the offensive or the defensive, mm -hmm. right? And that when we, and to recognize that part of this is that if we're trying to control our partner or get them to, or retaliate against them or making demands instead of requests, we're creating that resistance that, that keeps that cycle going, that puts us in that defensive or puts us on the offensive kind of position. Yeah. So again, another great cue to say, hmm, what can I do in this situation? What change can I make 
that would make this better for me rather than going back to the partner again. I love that you're doing that. You know, you're, you're bringing it back to the I, to the me. And um, my other podcast, Why Does My Partner? We often talk a lot about U-turns, right? So, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Like, all right, so let's turn this around on you. What, what is it that you need? What could you ask for? What is the direct request that you could make in this situation? Or what could you do differently? And so that brings me back to the different kinds or the different ways that we communicate, right? And that there, there are, you, you named it at that there's the passive communication and aggressive communication and an assertive communication. Um, and so you were speaking in the book from that place. And I wonder if you could speak to our audience a little bit about the differences between those forms of communication and, and why when we're making this U-turn, when we're talking about what I can do, that's such a big piece of it. Yeah. One way that we can think about this is the assertive communication is communication that is respectful of the other person and respectful of yourself. Mm-hmm. And aggressive communication is disrespectful to the other person. And passive communication is disrespectful to oneself. So to sort of break that down, if we think about being passive, we're often not speaking up. We're not verbally communicating directly about what we need or how we feel about something. Mm-hmm. And then once we're in that assertive place, you know, we're doing this, this clear communication about what we need and what's going on for us and what we want, but we're doing that with language and tone and body language. That's, I would say, receptive and calm um, versus the aggressive is where it's it's a, an attack on somebody else right. or it's a demand. Again, we sort of lost the piece where we're actually making a request or talking about our own feelings. It's, you know, you did this and I don't like that. Um, It's accusations, those types of things that tend to get people to respond in a defensive way rather than a receptive way. Right. I love that you also brought in talking about kind of calming or soothing ourselves, right? And how much that is a part of being able to stand in that assertive space. Yeah, I think if you if you can reflect on a time when you've been in a passive communication mode and an aggressive mode and an assertive mode, if you can recall actually how that felt within your body, it, because it's not just about the words that come out of your mouth. That's a part of it for sure. But it's all informed, right, by what our body is feeling and doing. And it's probably almost impossible to have a sort of communication if we are dysregulated, if we are very upset, if we're flooded with emotions. Um, that's again, that's where we either go into that sort of shutdown mode with the passive communication, or we become overly aggressive and we you know, our emotions are so big and they're sort of coming out in kind of, you know, unhelpful ways, maybe. And so when we can know ourselves, when we can be somewhat regulated and feel calm and embodied, and when we can speak from a place of this is what I need, this is what would mean a lot to me, 
then we're coming at this with more clarity and we're able to set assertive and kind boundaries that help us to both protect ourselves and protect the relationship. Yes, and that, that's what we want. I think everybody can agree that that's what we want. And you know, back to your point, it, we need to sometimes take that space to sort of bring ourselves back to a sense of calmness, clarity, connection with ourselves. Perhaps maybe it's connection with something greater than ourselves for some people, but, but that sense of being centered so that then, because I think part of what you're speaking about is the idea that we need to know ourselves in order to set our boundaries. Because again, the boundary is an extension of who I am and what I need. And the healing that often accompanies being able to set those boundaries is the learning of the self, because often the, that's where the, the wound was in that we may have grown up in a home or an environment where things were either too rigid or too porous, and we couldn't really figure out who we were and what we needed. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's such a great connection. I think back to that idea of of needing to say, who am I and what's important to, uh, to me, right? And this comes back to that idea of our needs and our values that are, that are the foundation of our boundaries and our relationships. And if we, if we don't have a good sense of who we are or a connection um, to what our needs are, that's something that, that takes some practice. Yeah. It's something that, that we kind of need to learn, even as adults, um, especially if that's not something that you were encouraged to do growing up. Growing up. And again, that's, that's pretty common. Yeah, it's, it is pretty common. And it also is, is what makes it so hard, I think, for so many to set healthy boundaries and to be clear. Absolutely. Yeah. I think as people get into the work of, of trying to set boundaries, they often end up feeling like they're confused about what boundaries to set because they don't know what they need. Yes. Or they feel like it's wrong to need that. Yeah. Right. Two sides of, of the same, of same coin there. But again, if you don't know what it is that you need, how can you ask for it of somebody else or of your, of yourself? Yeah. How you do you can. give it to yourself if you don't know what it is you need? You can't. If you don't know that you're thirsty, you can't pour yourself a glass of water. You're not gonna. Yeah. Why would you? Right. 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 Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's so many other places we could go with this. And at the same time, this feels like a really great place to land. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's complicated work because there's, there's many different facets of boundaries and I think we, we all need to just start where we're at. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I often say to people is that often a small amount of change can lead to a, a lot of improvement in the quality of one's life or relationships. So it's not as if you need to learn everything about boundaries or necessarily even become an expert at it. But if you can take a piece of it and work with it and keep on practicing it and get better at it, often there'll be, there'll be great returns um, uh, on that effort. Yeah. So, so a few key points that I think our listeners could maybe hold in mind is to reflect on what was or wasn't taught to you 
about what your needs and your wants were when you were growing up and how limits were or weren't set or how clearly expectations or agreements were outlined to start there to just kind of spend a little time. And, and I think this is what your workbook, which by the way, our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events.